Welcome back to Grieving Well. In this episode, we'll look at the final chapter of C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed. In this chapter, Lewis begins to let go. We can see pretty obviously in this part that he is contemplating what life is like now that he sees the reality of his wife's death, now that he's coming more to terms with it, now that it is more solid, now that it's at a place where... And this is part of the grieving process, too, is there's a place and there's a time where it starts to sink in. There's a place and a time where it becomes rather real. One of the things for me over the last uh, few years is I've lost various loved ones, losing grandparents that I grew up with and in the same house with, losing my mom. One of the things that has struck me as a very measurable sign of the grieving process has been found similarly to what we see here with Lewis and him letting go. One of the most uh, painful parts of the grieving process that I've found is forgetting that your loved one is dead. Forgetting that, uh, or again, as, as we want to broaden this as well, forgetting that what you've lost is no longer there. There's that moment where... For example, with the loss of a loved one, I find myself, you know, something great happens and I'm like, oh, I need to call my mom. I want to tell her about this. And then sometimes it takes, you know, a split second. Sometimes it's two or three seconds, sometimes a little longer. I'll sometimes pick up the phone and start to call her. And then I'm reminded, oh, yeah, I can't. I can't call her. She's gone. And so I've been able to really measure a big part of the grieving process for me has been in seeing how that over time, those moments become fewer and farther between. It becomes less and less frequent that I forget that she's gone. Instead, here again, it's it's sinking in. It's becoming reality. Lewis begins this chapter by even, he seems to make somewhat of a decision here in, the, in, in his grief of, I'm ready to step out of this. This can be really slippery. This can be a place that's so different from one person to another. One of the worst things you can do is try to put a firm timeline on the grieving process. For some, for one person, one part of it might take two weeks. For someone else, it might take a year. But Lewis, at this point, he's recognizing that he can feel it on the inside. He can tell he's starting to get ready to, when I say move on, of course, I don't mean forget. When I say move forward, I don't mean that he's letting go of her letting go of his beloved wife completely, but he is starting to put one foot in front of another, trying to get back into the groove of life as best he can, because he begins this last chapter by making note that when he recorded this, this is the the last, what we would call, he calls it a manuscript book, but what we would say basically is, I found the last empty notebook in the house, and so I'm making the decision right now that when I finish up this notebook, when I finish up this little journal, I'm done. Uh, he even at one point, he calls this an arbitrary decision. You know, he's like, I'm just kind of, I'm making this the moment for that. And so if you've lost someone, if you've lost a career, if you've lost a loved one, even in the sense of perhaps being there, they have been imprisoned. Perhaps they've gotten a bad diagnosis. Perhaps uh, you're watching a loved one go through a brutal divorce there's this point where you have to balance and very cautiously balance and with great care find the balance between holding on to memories, holding on to the love, holding on to your loved one, holding on to 
as much as you can the great ways in which things were and at the same time accepting things and pushing forward and starting anew, putting one foot in front of another. And I know I've said that phrase so many times, but that's often the way it is in these kind of things. It sometimes is, I almost said it's that simple. No, quite the opposite. It's, it can be that tough. It can be so tough as it feels arduous. Every, every footstep forward can feel like climbing Mount Everest. And Lewis notes this at the beginning of chapter 4, where he makes the comment that sorrow, as he was uh, going through and journaling, he was saying here that originally he hoped he could draw a map, a map of the sorrow process, a map of grief. But as he says here, it's, it's not a state, it's not something you can draw a map of, it's a process, and there's not really... There's not really a, a whole lot of markers for the way out. There's not a lot of signposts along the way. Instead, it is, as he says here, it's like a long valley, a winding valley, where any bend may reveal a totally new landscape. And we really want to dissect that language there, a totally new landscape, implying there may be more sorrow around that, you know, around that bend. You think you're, you're feeling better, and then the next thing you know, boom, you're on your back again. Or... Or, and this is where the hope is, uh, you come around a corner and you you find joy. And that's okay. That's also, you know, one of the things that we're going to be getting into here shortly, but I'm going to go ahead and hint to that, allude to that now, is that it's, it's okay to have joy in the midst of grief. It's okay to have moments of happiness. It is completely okay to have a smile, uh, even at a funeral. Now, of course, we don't want to force that. We don't want to, you know, manufacture that. But you should never feel guilty in the whether it's again in the midst of the loss of a loved one or the midst of the loss of anything. You should never feel guilty for feeling happy, for finding joy, for things feeling okay again, for waking up one morning and feeling okay for the first time in months. With my mother, you know, uh, again, uh, passing away with terminal cancer over a two-year diagnosis of it, two-year uh, course of it, we knew it was coming. And it was a long journey, especially the last four or five months. She was pretty sick. And, you know, that wears on you. It wore on all of us. It wore on my stepdad as her as her husband, on me, on my wife, on my, on my son, uh, and all of us in, in taking care of her. And I remember feeling guilty uh, just not, not too long, a few days after her death, when I felt a little bit better because I wasn't so tired. I felt a little bit physically better because I, you know, especially those last few days, we've been running on fumes. And I remember feeling guilty about that. I remember feeling so bad about that. But uh, as we're, again, as we're going to see here, uh, it, that, that's okay. It is completely okay. You should not feel guilty, feel bad about taking care of yourself. There's a, and I've, I've discussed a similar statement before that Lewis made in which I critique him, and here I'm going to critique him again, because on the surface, this sounds very gospel. It sounds very gospel-oriented, and I would say if you just take it on the surface, it is. Uh, he makes an interesting note, though. A few pages into chapter 4, he says, Looking back at his previous manuscripts, looking back at the, the previous chapters he's already written, he says, The notes have been about myself and about joy and about God in that order. 
the order and the proportions exactly what they ought not to have been. Now, I don't know about you guys, but one of the first things I remember ever learning in Vacation Bible School was JOY. Uh, like literally the little acronym JOY is that it's supposed to be Jesus, then others, then you. And so therefore, he says here, he finds that he has centered on himself and then centered on his wife and then centered on God and that that's been in the wrong order. Again, on the surface, that is completely understandable. It's very, uh, you know, because human nature typically is such that we do need to be checked that way. We, we more often than not, 99 times out of 100, we do need to be reminded to pivot our gaze towards God, to, to twist ourselves away from ourselves and towards something bigger than ourselves, to, to look outward rather than inward. But the reason I say here that I want to critique Lewis a bit, and I would want to have done this had I been his a close friend of his, a confidant, is to say, brother, I know where you're coming from, but be careful here too. Because Satan can use this very thinking to do some big damage. As I was talking about just a few moments ago, we can find ourselves feeling guilty for taking care of ourselves. We can find ourselves feeling guilty for being happy. We can find ourselves feeling guilty for uh, any, any shred of joy in the midst of our misery. And the reason we often feel that that even satanic kind of guilt, that anti-gospel kind of guilt, is because we have this misconception that self-care in the midst of all of this grief is wrong, and it's, it's not. Obviously, again, I, of course I agree with Lewis that our thoughts need to primarily and above all be about God. Next comes other, come others. However, what we have to be careful about here is uh, we can so minimize ourselves that we lose ourselves. And what I want to do here then is I want to look back at a psalm that we had looked at in a previous episode, Psalm 22, a Davidic psalm. It's also a messianic psalm, so it's a psalm that David wrote. He wrote it, uh, and it's obvious that he was going through what he was going through, but it's a psalm that Jesus references on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in that psalm, what is fascinating, you, you see this both in David and you see it in Christ, there are elements of, I'm hurting. There are elements of, I'm in trouble. Usually, we need to be reminded to, to focus on God, but you would expect then, or, or what would be very, uh, wouldn't be that surprising to me, why don't we open up the book of Psalms and see nothing but, Oh God, how great thou art. Why, why aren't the Psalms nothing but, God, you're great? Why do we find in the midst of them things like, God, I'm hurting? And why do we, why do we let's, let's take it up another notch. Why is Jesus on the cross talking about himself? Why is he saying things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I know you would say there, well, he's talking to God, but at the same time, he is screaming out his pain. Similarly, he one of the other sayings of the cross is, I thirst. Why didn't he use those words to bless someone? So do you see what I'm saying here? Satan, Satan, remember, he can use even the, the word of God. He can even use, uh, because what did he, of course, use against Christ? He used scripture. 
Satan will he will twist, he perverts, he he warps things in such a way. He, he's he's brilliant at it. If I don't want to sound like abrasing him, but he he's the master at that. And so, in the midst of the grieving process, in the midst of loss, in the midst of even in our, you may be listening to this, and you may it may be more of a self-inflicted wound that you're going through right now. It may be a sinful mess that you find yourself in, and in that, it is not only okay, it is biblical, it is scriptural, and it is Christ-like, who Jesus in His humanity, who says, "I'm in pain." Now, here's where the balance comes in, though. We look at again. We look at something like Psalm 22. And if, if, you, if you have time, read through it, because what David does, David screams out all of these laments. He tells about, and so beautifully, so poetically, he spells out all of his troubles. And yet, what you have is you have this back and forth. For a few verses, he'll cry out. And then for a few verses, he'll say, but yet, God, you know what you're doing. For a few verses, he will describe his pain he will describe his turmoil and then he'll he'll turn around and say but god i bless you and that's also again you know what we see with christ on the cross same things like i thirst screaming out in pain and yet also saying things like father forgive them for they know what not what they do looking at others he says things like into thy hands i commit my spirit again this this amazing, and that's what we see Jesus in his humanity and his divinity and showing us how to tap into both of those as well because in our humanity, being the being like him, the true and better Adam, and being connected through his spirit into the Godhood, into the Trinity, through his Holy Spirit, we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. That's That's how to grieve. That is what grief should look like. It is this total acceptance, this total um, falling into, this total uh, collapse. And yet at the same time, it is, it is feeling the amazingly large and strong and compassionate and tender hand of the Father cradling us. That is how to grieve. And that's why I critique Lewis here a bit. Now, he knows his own heart, so quite possibly he knows what he's talking about. Maybe the Holy Spirit is is convicting him. But again, I mention this because especially in, in a church like ours, where rightfully so, we are constantly reminded to put God first. And brother, I'm there. That is the way, I mean, I, I'm even wired in such a way that like, it, depravity makes sense to me. I get that. I look at myself, and I see that in myself. And yet, we also have to check that so that in, in grief, in sin, in the pain, and in the process, we have to be okay with saying, I'm hurting. And we have to be okay with saying, I'm feeling better. We have to be okay with saying, it's okay. We have to... I don't know if allow would be exactly the right word. I think it might be here, but we have to allow God to take care of us. And, you know, I'm going to say here something that's possibly one of the most difficult things you could do as a Christian. It has been for me, but to, to accept the handout of amazing grace, to accept that handout. Now here I'm quoting the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. 
he talks about that in there that you know that we would not be too proud that we would not you know try to armor up in the spiritual armor and by the way of course we want to do that but we can sometimes believe that we're these shining knights and we're above this and we don't no no in in grief in sin in pain in this fallen world we need the gospel Jesus isn't just for the lost. Salvation isn't just for, quote-unquote, the sinner. It's for the church, too. It's, so, if you are in Christ, fall on Jesus. You know, I mean, that's, it's that simple. But falling is hard. We're wired not to do it. We are taught. You know, there's, there are no, there, again, I'm referencing the, the ragamuffin gospel here again by Manning, but... We are, we are taught, our society teaches us that uh, there's no such thing as free lunches, right? That it's, you, 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 shouldn't, you shouldn't be on welfare. You shouldn't accept a handout. You need to, you know, uh, stiff, uh, stiff upper lip and, and chin up and work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And yet the gospel is, oh, it's counter to all of those things. Because with the gospel, you can't buy it. You can't work for it. So in our grief, we fall on Jesus. In our grief, we can fall apart. Isn't that that beautiful? Isn't that amazing that you can fall apart? You can absolutely fall to pieces. It's safe here. In the Father's hands, these things are safe. He will put you back together again. He will take care of you. He will love you tenderly. Which leads me to the final thing that I wanted to mention here, and I'll very briefly summarize this last part of this first half of the last chapter, if that made any sense, where Lewis says, again, the photographs of his wife, he's like, they're, they're not enough. This is a, a, another way that we're seeing here that the reality of her death is really, is really setting in. He's coming to terms with it. He's accepting it. And when I say accepting it, uh, that has often been misunderstood to mean um, he's okay with it. Nope, he's not okay with it. Accepting someone's death or accepting a loss, accepting that uh, we have a terminal diagnosis, accepting it does not mean that we just smile and everything's okay. But accepting it is, it's now part of reality. I'm, I'm able to push forward. I'm able to put one foot in front of another. And so I'm going to, to close off here. Next time we will finish this final chapter. I look forward to looking at that with you. And until then, I pray that you would fall to pieces in the Father's hands. Um, I pray, of course, not that the opportunity would happen. I would never pray that, but if it has, if you are in loss, if you are in the midst of pain, if you are suffering I'm telling you from experience, I'm telling you from watching others, I'm telling you from Christ himself, watching Jesus, the man on the cross, that that is not only okay, that is the very thing to do.